I'm Rachel Michelle Wilson, a children's book author and illustrator, and I'd rather sit at the kid table than anywhere else. co-host Angela Pham Kranz and a special guest. She's a cat lover, San Francisco dweller, watercolor genius, and children's bookmaker of the hilarious No Fuzzball books. Please welcome my friend, Isabella Kung. Okay, so usually we like to start at childhood because it's the kid table. Mm-hmm. So I want to know what was the kid table like for you as a kid? Well, that was a fun question because I was thinking about my childhood and I was like, I don't really think I had a kid table. I was just kind of expected to sit with all the adults and that's why I was bored a lot. And occasionally I would be like, okay, bye. I'm going to go walk around the restaurant or go somewhere else and then come back. And my mom told me, and I still remember it too, occasionally I'll find a kid in somebody else's table that were also bored and then I'll just sit there and hang out with the kid and eat their food but I can only get away with it for so long. I love that. So you basically made your own kid table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. They made friends. Strangers yeah. to friends. Yeah. Until you ate their food. They're like, what yeah. is this? Yeah. You when you're cute, I feel or young, you can kind of get away That's with something. I don't like, think oh, you can do that so anymore. Try doing it now, Isabella. <laughs> They're like, who is this weird adult woman? Love it. So going with that, speaking of food, what was your favorite snack? Oh, so, so many. So there's this, I remember there's this one snack um, and we have a little bit of allowance uh, during elementary school and it's kind of like an instant noodle pack, but it is created for snacking, not for cooking. And then you open it um, and there's like the dry noodles, but you pour the seasonal powder in it and then you crush it and you shake it around and you just eat it like that as chips. Um, uh, So that was a big one and it's called Mami Min. And then there's curry fish balls, and then there's uh, these egg puffs. Uh, that's kind of like an in-between a uh, waffle and a pancake, but they're like in these little egg form. Uh, uh, and then you can tear it apart and eat it. And then for drinks, I love this Japanese yogurt called Yakule. That was my favorite soft drink. And it has um, microbiomes in it, so it's slightly healthy. <laughs> what about What about yours? Uh, as a kid, oh gosh, my parents used to go to Sam's before there was Costco and they would buy big tubs. I mean, when I say big, they're like huge Sam's tubs of gummy bears and cheese balls. So you can oh. imagine how healthy we were. <laughs> um, but when you were mentioning the noodles, I have never heard of that brand where it acts like chips. I remember like sometimes mm-hmm. we would open the mama uh, ramen noodle bag and just mm-hmm. put the seasoning in, even though they were meant to be cooked, but we would eat it like that, which probably yeah. isn't the healthiest, but so I did know a version of it, the chips version existed. She made her own kid table. You made your yes. own snack. It's good. Geniuses. <laughs> How about you, Rach? Um, mine was uh, classic string cheese. Just Ooh. like, I always, you know, I still, it's one of my favorite snacks. Mm-hmm. It's super easy, fun, you know. Do you play with your food? I mean, like tie it in knots and yeah, I like doing that stuff. Yeah, same. 
Okay, three words to describe your personality as a kid. Oh, okay. So I I thought back um, and I was a crybaby. I cried a lot. I remember crying, losing card games or not getting my way. Uh, introverted, but also surprisingly brave. Like I said, I just went to somebody else's table and met new friends and I was not afraid and I'm like wondering what happened because <laughs> I'm I'm afraid now I'm not as brave as I used to be <laughs> no I feel like I've I've seen you have that combination even now because you you will like get up you mean I'm a crybaby <laughs> yes. you're still a crybaby that's my point yeah, <laughs> yeah. done done with this interview that's all we need to know yeah, yeah we will end on that. <laughs> no, you sit, you stand up in front of like hundreds of people giving presentations. Uh, you're so yeah. kind. I always freak out like right before, but I don't know, something in my head just switches when I'm talking in front of people and then I kind of blank out a bit and then I'm like, oh, I, I did it. It was great. I don't know what I said. <laughs> well, that combination still works for you. <laughs> I have yet to see you cry, though. At a okay. <laughs> One day. You'll see it eventually. <laughs> One day. Um, what was your relationship to books and creativity like when you were growing up? Um, it was, it was, it was quite interesting. I knew I loved stories. Uh, my grandma uh, read to me every night. I, that was one of the earliest memories. And then my mom read to me after that every night. And, um, but, you know, unfortunately, I, I grew up in an apartment that's really small in Hong Kong. It was probably less than 500 square feet for a family of four. My grandma at one point lived with us. It, it was a two bedroom, but the bedrooms are like tiny. Um, and we didn't have space for anything. We, we like, we, my, I had to negotiate space for buying a new pair of shoes, for example. Like everybody had three, at most four, you know, no more space. Um, so we didn't buy a lot of books, but we did frequent the library. Um, and then I remember as a teenager, I got obsessed with graphic novels and manga. And um, there's in Hong Kong, there's a lot of uh, manga places where you can just rent them uh, and you don't have to buy them. Um, so I feel like I always enjoyed stories in that narrative visual art format. And I'm sure it fueled my interest in becoming an illustrator because I also really loved drawing and I loved uh, art. Um, but also, you know, I was never kind of encouraged in Hong Kong. My parents are, uh, and the and the society itself, there wasn't a big bright future for art, the career in arts. So um, yeah, I kind of let that dream die a little bit until I came to America and I was encouraged by my host families that I live with here and I really did a lot of research I'm like oh actually there is a possibility and there there is um good art schools around here and I finally you know convinced my parents for maybe two years before they finally agreed to let me go to art school. Um, and um, then I really tried to enc uh, encourage my creativity and pursue art. So that that is the gist of it. But um, I wonder, always wondered, what if I always were encouraged if, I, if things will turn out differently? But yeah, at some point I thought maybe I should be an accountant because I was good at math. <laughs> Yeah. Not good at math at all anymore after art school. 
lost. Yeah, I think the decision that you made due to art school is also brave because to go against societal norms, family norms, cultural norms, as you know, you know, being Asian, like there are certain expectations of mm-hmm. what roles, like doctor, lawyer, whatever yeah. it is. And it's art really is not even top of mind. And mm-hmm. so when you when you, you said host family, did you come mm-hmm. to the US for school? And then um it's part of like high school and college education, you went to art school for college? Yeah. Oh, well, so I came when I was 16 and I went to three years of American high school. And during the high school moments, it was kind of like an exchange student program where you're half independent, like you kind of take care of most of the stuff, but the host family would take care of your lodging and feed you and Mm -hmm. drive you to school. But, uh, but pretty much your your it it was it was great actually i think it's the best thing that happened to me as a teenager it really really made me grow up and realize yeah. uh, the world does not revolve around me <laughs> um and um yeah and and know how to um get along with other people learn other cultures and appreciate my own parents so so it was a great learning experience and um and my first host family was in Colorado, Fort Collins, and then I went to upstate New York, and then finally California. So then once you were in art school, what was the process like of figuring out you actually wanted to do children's books versus, I know there's so many branches of illustration, so how did you narrow down? How did you find children's books and find yourself back at the kid table as an author illustrator? Um, so at first, all when I went to art school, all I knew was, oh, I I, I want to pursue illustration. I love traditional medium, and that was still uh, taught in the traditional illustration department. And I figured out what illustration meant because I was I remember asking a high school teacher, I'm like, well, I don't really have a lot of great ideas, but I love working on other people's ideas and making art from that. What is that? And they're like, I think you're talking about illustration. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I, uh, so I went to Academy of Art University and that was my major. And about, I think year two, uh, when I finally got into some major illustration courses. Um, and when I, I rediscovered my love for, for watercolor. Um, I, I actually just wrote a blog post about how I actually hated it at first. And then when I was reintroduced to it and learned some more art foundations, I fell in love with it. And um, there were an assignment that ha- it was kind of kids book themed, not exactly a book itself uh, or maybe a book illustration, but not exactly children's book. But I started thinking like, oh, this is really fun. I love telling stories. And what industry, well, A, for celebrates traditional mediums, and B, would let me paint like cool things like, I don't know, a pink elephant flying around. Children's book. I should go into that. So um, that was the logic back then. So your playful side kind of guided you then. Yeah. It sounds like you're looking to play and to be able to have fun. How have you been able to keep that alive? Because sometimes, you know, illustration as a job versus illustration as a hobby, sometimes, you know, work is work. So I'm just curious how you keep that playfulness alive. Um, I I do feel like some of it died a little bit as I grew up. I think it, it's true for all of us. It's a little hard um, because, you know, as you grow and going through art school, too, it has its own set of hurdles I feel like because you're learning how 
um, how certain rules, how certain principle work, um, like how society expects of you to behave, you know, all kinds of things. So, and then once you learn all of that, it's so hard to break out of that structure. I felt, um, I felt it took me a while after I graduated to really free up my creativity side. Like I was so used to drawing a certain way that I knew I was good at, but it didn't really push me forward creatively. Um, it was just something that I was good at technically um, that uh, it, it, it took me a while. And I think a lot of it is perfectionism and fear. Um, and uh, that's prohibiting me for just playing and exploring. I think the main thing is to play and to, uh, and experimenting and um, acknowledging that mistakes and failures are, are not, are not a waste of time. It's just part of the progress uh, and figuring out what you like, what you don't like, what interests you and just follow that, follow whatever you're curious about. I think that is the, that is the brave part that kids just naturally have that we kind of lose a little bit of that. And I realized the more I am brave to explore and have fun, um, the more my inner child emerges. So um, I hope I can do that more. But sometimes you end up getting distracted by like, oh, I need to make some money. <laughs> That's relatable. Those are wise words, Isabella. <laughs> I love what you said about, you know, uh, mistakes and whatever. It's not failures. It's progress. And it's so true. It's like, it's just part of the process. What about you two? How do you hang on to that inner child? I relate to the perfectionism a lot, as you know. Um, and I feel like I have found that the antidote for that is playfulness. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I, some things I do, like in my art, I get really worried because I'm newer to it. And so I will use like the cheapest materials possible. Mm -hmm. So I'll use like a cheap chip brush and cheap paper. And I will, that like relieves the pressure. And then I also will, like when I'm doing a piece of art, I will illustrate only parts of it and scan it in because then I know like it relieves my perfectionism because I know mm -hmm. I can do it over and over again till I like it and so then I don't have to worry about like one mark ruining the entire piece that I've just made because all of them are separate so little tricks like that that like help set a standard of playfulness and help relieve the anxiety I have tons mm -hmm. of tricks like that because <laughs> I'm very perfectionist <laughs> yes what about you Angela um, I think I always have tried to remember um, progress over perfection. And I think having critique partners and friends tell you that or getting their perspective always helps. Um, and also, I feel like I, sometimes when you hone in perfection, you like you're stuck there. So to like get away from it, you have to keep yourself busy. When I realize I have so much to do and I just keep on doing things, I don't necessarily have the time to get stuck in this thing. I'm like, well, mm. it'll work itself out, you know? Yeah. And it turns out all the time while I kept moving, this little piece back here didn't really matter, you know, mm. at all, or the editor liked it just fine. And mm -hmm. it didn't really make that big of a difference. Whereas before I would, you know, sit there for like, you know, an hour just pouring over the same two lines. And then mm -hmm. you realize you just keep going and those two lines were great and part of the process, but no one like focused in on it the way 
I did. So I think keeping yourself busy so you always have something to do and work towards mm-hmm. allows you to leave this kind of like pit that you were in. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of climb out and do other things. Oh yeah, that's great. And I and I have I really feel like sometimes our subconscious mind when you're working on something else are still working at your original thing and maybe later on you you it suddenly works like when you revisit it, you figure it out so fast because you've constantly been you know working it in the background i love that and i um one time i was just feeling kind of stuck on on an um like a story problem and i read a ton of picture books like 20 picture books i wasn't looking for anything in particular and then i went to sleep and then the next morning i had an idea and it solved the problem. And it had nothing to do with the books that I had read, but somehow my brain had like combined ideas or something. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, I couldn't find a thread in the picture books I read, but just doing that, like feeding my brain helped mm-hmm. me actually come up with something. Has that happened to you before as well? You were nodding. Oh, I was just saying sleep. I mean, I re- read a lot about sleep, uh, but yeah, it helps solve problems sometimes. It's really cool. Um, like there was a study about some, like an experiment, like uh, of prompting the subject to to go through a simulator of uh, skiing or something and then when they're dreaming their 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 REM sleep went into a, a skiing simulation thing I, I thought that was really cool but yeah sleep taking naps they say is a good um problem solving thing and I for me naps so far haven't solved my problems but showers showers have solved my some of my big aha moments yes (laughs) showers are hot showers man yeah yeah. does it for me I mean I love naps every day but it's hot showers you're like I'm done with this I can't do this anymore you go take a shower and you're like "Ah (laughs) okay so coming from all three of us it's naps and showers is how you solve your problems very true so um as you've navigated your career having to come up with different ideas and having to worry about the financial side of things as well. Like how you navigate all of that at the same time in a career of children's book author illustrator. (laughs) Well, I do have to preface by saying I am incredibly lucky and I am um, grateful to my partner for um, helping bulkly financially I mean I do a lot but I pay small bills he pays big bills like rent for example I would not be living in San Francisco if weren't for my partner's tech job I mean San Francisco is so expensive so I I have this privileged position and luxury to not worry too much financially I mean I worry still because I don't I mean we keep some of our finances pretty separately I don't want to use his money for any of my my own investments or my own careers Uh, but at least I don't have to worry about my next rent check or something so that is that is something I do have to say a lot of people don't have and I am so, so lucky. Um, But uh, to keep myself organized and juggling a lot of stuff, um, and this I feel like is thanks to uh, strict Asian parents and (laughs) educational system, I am very organized with my planners. I have a monthly planner, which is kind of like a spreadsheet, but with lots of checkboxes and to-do lists, and I have it completely laid out. Um, It's on my screen every single day. 
And then I have something called just a weekly analog planner with little check boxes and mm-hmm. and things. And I slot what I need to do in the month into my weekly planner. Um, and as I do them, I cross them off. So I am, uh, and I have to keep both of them open and visible at all times or not, I will forget. Um, so that's kind of how I juggle it all. <laughs> it's, it's a weird system, but it, it works. Oh, that doesn't sound weird. That sounds smart. Well, I also noticed that, you know, you're talking about how are you keeping the balance, but I also noticed that you have an Etsy page where (laughs) I think a lot of people have some watercolor stuff on there, right? Yeah. Um, Actually, I want to, well, okay. One small tangent side, but it's related to an earlier question about creativity and all that stuff. Those ink cat paintings that I do, um, it really all came from an experimentation because I was procrastinating on doing a paid freelance job. It was so boring. I didn't want to do it. And I was staring like, oh, there's these ink bottles that's been in my closet for five years. Maybe I should use them. And that came out, that whole series came out of that. So a yay for experimentation. But yeah, my Etsy store, I do have to admit it's a little neglected these days. Um, but when I first graduated from college, um, even though I my goal, my my dream job is to illustrate children's books and, and maybe, well, I didn't know I wanted to write back then, but it's to work for one of the big five publishing houses and do a very fun, creative children's book. Uh, but I also knew it's kind of an unpredictable industry um, it's also pretty slow and I don't know when my opportunity will come so I definitely put a lot of eggs in a lot of different baskets um just to see if you know maybe I'm also good at something else and um I I did well I always taught part-time and then I did gallery shows not for me. <laughs> um, like, I think I've maybe sold two paintings or three paintings in all the shows I'm part of. Um, not a very uh, good uh, money or ec- economical uh, a career path. Um, and then I did craft fair. So I made merchandises of my own things. And I did portraits. I did album covers. And I did a set of emojis, which spawned the character Fuzzball. Um, so uh, yeah, I, and I really, as much as those years felt like such twists and turns and somewhat aimless, but um, I really am thankful for those years because I figured out what I like doing versus what I love doing. Like the Etsy stuff and doing craft, I really like them. I don't really love it. Like, I'm glad I did it. I got a lot out of it. Um, but I, I I don't feel the need to continue doing that. Like, I've uh, reinforced my love for children's books and, and keep pushing in that direction. During the pandemic, there was the first year I was lucky I was busy. I had I had contracts to work on. So uh, while, you know, we all went through a lot, but I think because you're being busy, you're you're not too occupied with your own thoughts and your own, you know, self-doubt or any negative emotions. So the sec- last year actually was the first time I was without a contract for a long time. And I didn't really have too much teaching gigs going on. And every, you know, we were still waiting around for things to open up. So I'm like, all right, this year I'll focus on my writing. 
And I did. And I think it drove me crazy. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I don't have any ideas. And I was really forcing and pushing it. And But in hindsight, like, I did have good ideas. But I was so obsessed with it. I was just constantly thinking about it. And constantly in my own head. And as an illustrator first and, and the writing came later, I was also, you know, admittedly a little less confident with my writing. And I felt like I couldn't see myself progress as clearly as I did with illustration. So I felt really down on myself too. And that obsession was not healthy. So I was, I really reflected a lot and this year very shifted my um, mindset about this for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. I'm so glad you brought this up because I know you're not alone in going through that. Um, I've experienced before and I wouldn't be surprised if Angela has in different ways of, of just like along the creative process, having those ups and downs. So I'm curious, you said you shifted your mindset, which is a really hard thing to do. So I was just curious, were there any steps you took to do that to help you, you know, kind of change from where you were last year to where you are now? I'm like trying to think, what did I do? Well, yeah. I, I I went on creative retreats for fun. I went on one to highlights last year for the first time. And that really, um, you know, inspired me um, to work and come up with some new stories and, and, and um, go through, uh, push through some hurdles that were, were stopping me at that time. Um, and then um just co consistently journaling, I feel like, and really turning inward and investigating what I was thinking and feeling. Um, it took a while, but eventually I realized I I'm putting this myself in that position. And I, you know, like nobody else is requiring me to do this. Nobody else is putting that standard on me, um, except for myself. Um, so, uh, and then I've eventually figured out like, okay, you know, that shouldn't be your main goal. Um, you should be doing other stuff. You should like, you are way too concerned on the just generating stories. You should play with your art again. Like, why aren't you experimenting, you know? And with that too, like just this year when I'm uh, starting to play around my sketch sketchbook again, it, it, it inspired a new idea for a story. Like, whereas last year I was running around spinning in circles thinking I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, just being aware of yourself and what your thoughts are. I think that's pretty important. Well, I'm glad you were able to get out of the funk. And speaking of ideas, where did the idea for No Fuzzball come from? Um, fuzzball, well, the character definitely came from the emojis. And I knew that character was pretty special. But the story idea, it was actually the second story I ever attempt to write and illustrate. And I just was really listening to a, a, a writing instructor that I was take, uh, you know, learning from at that time, she said, you know, the best advice, and I think so too, is write what you know. And then I was like, Oh, I know cats. Maybe I should write a story about cats. And I happen to have this character I can play around. And so that's kind of how it started. And then the the whole aha moment, like it took me forever because I'm like, I don't know what the cat want. Milk? No, that's lactose intolerant. They shouldn't drink milk. Um, I'm like, sleep? I don't know what they want. Um, but yeah, the aha moment came from the shower. So to like two or three months later <laughs> and then I got to work tying it back to the shower <laughs> how how long did it take you to for that initial idea that aha moment to getting the story down 
Um, and then did you illustrate first, kind of do sketches and then wrote text or did you do the same time or you did text first? Mm -hmm. um, I did full. So first of all, I would say character first, uh, illustration came first. Um, and then uh, I think I started with storyboards and thumbnails really early as I'm writing it because, you know, I was confident in my illustrations. So I'm like, I'll bring that in early. Um, and then I play, yeah, I played around with that for maybe two years uh, of different drafts of, you know, mind you, I was also, you know, working on a bunch of other stuff. So I, I went, went at it whenever I had any free time. Um, and then that's when I stopped like, okay, well, like, you know, I think total, it maybe had like 14 drafts before it got picked up, but like around halfway, like six or seven draft, I'm already thinking like, I think it's ready. Let's go, let's go get some professional um, critiques or submit to agents um, and um, got some really great advice and feedback and kept working on it. Um, so about two or two or three year mark, um, that's when I got my first literary agent, which turned out to be a SME agent. And then um, two years later, um, that ended. She sat on my work for two years and then I then I finally got Jen Lafren at ABLA, and then that's when it got sold. I got two offers in two months, so that was amazing. Um, so total from idea, I would say, to getting, I think, to getting bought or published, I forgot, but like five years. Published, yes. Getting bought was maybe four years. Long time. <laughs> Yeah, but you've done a lot of that work ahead of time. So by the time it was bought, you're okay, final part. Yeah, yeah, we did do, I think, like maybe one and a half round of revisions. Yeah, and then, yeah. learned a lot from th those experiences too. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to go through this agent. Um, <laughs> two, years, two years is a long time, and I'm sure that was really frustrating, yeah. difficult, but I'm really glad you're with Jen Lawford now at ABLA and that you know and that your book was published and then also your latest book which is the sequel no snowball and um and so i wanted to ask you about this book too because the first one is about you know the queen of the house buzzball and then she gets a new roommate which like interrupts that queendom for a bit and she has to figure out how to handle that so i was really curious um part of the tricky it's tricky to write a sequel because you want it to be connected to the first one, but you also want it to be different. And so I was curious how you handled that because that seemed to be like one of the biggest tricks of a sequel. That it, I, it, it, it technically is because I was also pretty intimidated. I was very, I'm also very lucky. Puzzball did really well, even though it launched during a pandemic, thanks to the Scholastic Book Fairs really took her around to the kids. Um, but I think because I already had a seedling of an idea from before the book even got bought, I, I was, I think, it all came from, you know, like fake it till you make it kind of bluffing kind of thing. I, I remember uh, it was during a conference um, and it was just like a social mingling. An agent asked me like, oh, so you're working on this, like th this cool um, idea for for Fuzzball. Does, do you have any sequels? Does this idea have any sequels in mind or something? And then I was just like, technically it's a no, but in my head, I was just like lying. I'm like, yes, I definitely do. Um, maybe it gets a 
kitten or the, the, the dog has something, you know, like I was just, you know, half, I don't know, like <laughs> spewing out brainstorming ideas then and there. And I actually really like the kitten idea. And it, it goes through a very classic, um, uh, is it a trope or theme? Like the, the contrast, the, the opposite. So adult black cat, baby white kitten, grumpy and at full of attitude just and then kitten is full of love and just wants to be part of it all and just mm -hmm. super uh clueless um and like because um I like the only thing afterwards is figuring out how to make that puzzle work like how to introduce this new character in a pre-existing universe that I've set up in the first book so I just try to cap like the the main jokes the rules and structure set up like the the repeating of the the screaming or worshiping like the three the three times of screaming their names um and like other rules like the first book only fuzzball speaks nobody understands fuzzball right it's her internal voice and internal mo uh, monologue sometimes so I wanted the um you know, humans and dogs still be not able to understand the cats, but the cats can talk to each other. So that's another thing. And then um, I wanted, of course, Buzzball's personality to stay relatively the same, but, you know, she's growing, but in a very small, slight way. Um, and then, so I think that really helped. But, and because I'm introducing a new character and now there's suddenly dialogue, I think the the difference, the, the new components of it really kept uh kept uh kept the story interesting, kept the series interesting, and kept the new book different than the old one, even though it's still in the same structure and same jokes. So um so far, it worked out pretty well, and kids are liking the sequel because I was worried. I was like, oh, I, you know, it's probably not as good as the first one. I don't know. Um, I like it. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> it's a good sequel. It's a really good sequel. I have a friend that told me, like, her kid actually loves the second one more than the first one, which because the the kitten you can do all the silly voices with the kitten so uh with snowball so i was like oh whew, thank goodness <laughs> it's a great read aloud especially when you want kids involved where it's like when you say no buzzball no buzzball you know it's like the kids can say that like they're part of the reading and you know part of the story so it's such a great read aloud Thank you. I love telling the kids to scream with me. And I think one time I had two groups of kindergartner. It was so loud. I was like, I was trying not to plug my ears when they're screaming. They loved it. And then one kid at the end yelled like, I'm losing my voice. I'm like, uh-huh. Uh, I love that. And it's true that um, it's such a good read aloud because of the way you used contrast to build up the two voices of the characters. And I was just curious how you um, develop the voices for them and maybe some inspirations, mm -hmm. um, you know, what went into these characters? Uh, well, thank you for asking. So obviously my two, my first two cats were the biggest inspiration for Fuzzball, Bubo and Bella, and like Bubo's the more attitude sassy one and Bubo is the silly, very, very sweet, um, airheaded one. Um, and their combination of their personalities initially inspired Fuzzball. Um, and also, I was really obsessed with Black cats at that moment, even though I didn't have any Black cats. So th that's how I created the character. But when I started writing the story, um, I... Uh, 
like I, I think I was telling you separately earlier that I, when I, I'm working on a presentation right now about humor, so it really is making me analyze my own characters. Like, oh, like what kind, what kind of influence that I got from like childhood cartoons or um, uh, things that I've watched or animations or movies or comedians, uh, you know. So I like. So analyzing that, I think like the beginning where Fuzzball introduced herself to the audience, like, oh, hello. It remind I think it's from, you know, Simpson that there's this random character comes in like, oh, hello, I'm Troy something and I'm an actor, blah, 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 blah. You know, that talking to the audience. So there's so Simpsons, um, Pinky and the Brain, Brain, definitely a big influence on Fuzzball wants to rule the world but you know is very small uh, and can't, can't really do it <laughs> um and um I also you know definitely read a lot of books in those voices I wanted a character with that voice and I remember reading like King Baby, Boss Baby, uh, Pig the Pug, um there's a few more uh like really full of attitude characters but and I'm like looking at my bookshelf, but I also remember at the beginning when I'm trying to write the story, I, I don't think it was, in it was more subconscious. Like I avoided cat books entirely. I think because I didn't want to be influenced by another cat book. Um, and then of course, later on, when I have the story more ready or solidified then I, I read more capital just to make sure like I'm you know it's not already been done or you know it's not too similar to another cat book um, luckily there isn't um, oh and of course I blanked out one of the mentor texts of course is no David no David was great um, uh, so so there were a lot of that and for snowball um, I uh, remember a couple years back I uh, a whole neighborhood we saved a little a kitten that we found in the middle of San Francisco um, and I fostered it for a bit so you know that kitten crazy energy and mentality um, so that kitten's name is Mason and then I also love um, well Pinky and the Brain Pinky and um, I I still love watching animations and cartoons and one of uh, my favorites is Adventure Time and I don't know if any Adventure Time fans out there, but there is this one character uh, called Bun Bun. And I love Bun Bun. She's just so, it's just like Fuzzball and um, just new to the world and just loves everybody and, you know, does everything that she's not supposed to do. So, um, so I think it's a combination of all these things that I love to read, watch and consume and what I find funny squished into one <laughs> and cats cats are just funny in general that is so good um it's so cool to see how your curiosity and playfulness that you talked mm -hmm. about earlier how you take that into the things that you watch the things that you consume and then put that into your own work and it's not it doesn't feel like those other things in the sense that like it doesn't feel the same it feels like your own unique thing so you're taking mm -hmm. this combination of your sensibility and your playfulness and your humor yeah. and then making it your own it's just so cool to see and um these two books are wonderful they're hilarious yeah. i know they've been successful and i'm so glad they because they deserve it i'm curious what are you working on right now what are you excited oh. about right now 
Um, you have you have seen this story. Um, like earlier, I said I was playing around in that sketchbook, and um, I was playing around with a little character that's a star, and I end up writing a story about it, and uh, I'm really excited about this story. I actually have a couple of other stories that I've been playing around, but um, this one, you know, suddenly really grabbed my interest, and I I I, I already have visual imagery for it too and that's um sometimes really gets me excited um, so i can't wait to work on that some more um and i'm gonna share a little bit of art on it sometime soon on your so social I'm media like, so where, where can yeah. we find you and connect with you Oh, so I'm on, of course, on Instagram. I uh, at Isabella Kung Il I L L. So I S A B E L L A K U N G I L L. I regret this handle, but it's already <laughs> done. I have a friend that asked asked me if my last name is Kungil. <laughs> they didn't put the two together, and I'm like, oh god. Of course. <laughs> Why did I do that? Um, and uh, I'm also on Twitter, uh, Isabelle K. Um, you can find my work on my website, IsabellaCone.com. It will have all the links on there. So yeah, we'll add the links too for people. Great. Okay. Well, we are so happy that we got to talk with you. You said so many things that I think people will really appreciate and relate to and be able to take into their own creative practice. And also, I'm sure that everyone will be excited for your book. Thank you. Yay! Thanks for sitting with us today, Isabella. I hope you all go out and buy no fuzzball and no snowball from your local independent bookstore. Thanks to my delightful co-host, Angela Pham Kranz. Check out her beautiful book, Binding Papa. Thanks, Whiskey Geraldine, for our music. Check her out on SoundCloud. And author Joanna Rowland for sponsoring this episode. Find her book, Big Bear Was Not the Same, at bookshop.org. If you would like to sponsor an episode, simply sign up as a paid subscriber of our At The Kid Table newsletter on Substack. If you like this episode, I hope you share it with a friend. There's always more room at the kid table.